chapter 20, beginning to read at verse 19. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. When the other disciples told him that they had seen the Lord, he declared, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Hello again. Thank you, Ingrid, for that reading. Beautiful. Well, I'm going to start with a joke. I like to start with a joke. Two nuns were driving alone out in the countryside when they ran out of petrol. Fortunately, they could walk to a petrol station not far away. And also, fortunately, the government hadn't been scaremongering that particular week. (laughs) Where they asked to purchase a can of petrol. I'm sorry, sister, said the attendant, but all I have for you to carry it in is an old chamber pot. Well, the nuns agreed that actually this would be fine, and they returned to the car. And as they were pouring the petrol into the tank, a man drove by, stopped his car and said, Oh, sister, if only I had your faith. What are you struggling to believe at the moment? That retirement and old age holds promise and purpose? 
that your pension will be worth something, anything, that the job you have is the right one for you, that your children are doing okay, that your marriage is something you want to be part of, that drinking less will help in the long run, that the church is worth being a part of, that our government know what they're doing, that your skills and time can make a difference for God and his church, that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus really can give us freedom, life and a hope-filled future with God. That there is a God. What are you struggling to believe? We all struggle to believe in something. It's understandable. Life can be unpredictable. It can be a, a very demanding adventure, raising all sorts of questions and doubts. And anyone who says they don't struggle to believe something isn't being honest. In short, I don't believe them. Certainty, having things all sewn up, doesn't leave much room for discovering more. Just look at Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Now, this is one of my favourite paintings by uh, the artist Caravaggio. Uh, I wish you could see it a little bit clearer. The, the contrast isn't, isn't great. It's a wonderful painting entitled Doubting Thomas, painted around 1600. Quite incredible. The beauty of the painting is, uh, is quite astounding. And I, what always strikes me about the painting is that you could be stood in the room as that was happening. It's so vivid. I encourage you, if you can, to have a look at it on, uh, on a computer screen. Do a Google search, Caravaggio's Doubting Thomas. But Caravaggio may have produced wonderful art which points us to heaven, but his own life was a catalogue of human weakness. He led an extremely turbulent and violent life, most of which he seems to have brought about upon himself. He was hot-headed, jealous and angry. His crimes ranged from throwing hot artichokes at a waiter to the rather more serious and frequent street brawls that he got himself into. In fact, he fled Rome after a particularly unpleasant episode involving some unpaid debts. But in the midst of all this undoubted human failing and shame, Caravaggio gave us some of the most insightful artistic impressions and interpretations of the life of Christ. Perhaps it was its experience of the varied dimensions of human behaviour, of the risky, less explored, less acknowledged signs of human life, like doubt, that enabled him to be able to portray emotion, passion and humanity so well. Now in the painting, you might not see, but you can see, uh, see very well, but in this, uh, the face of Thomas, the guy who's peering into the, uh, the open wound of Jesus there in his side, you can see uh, a brow marked with uh, lines there. It's a face etched with years of experience and yes, perhaps even a hint of cynicism. 
born out of adversity, life's ups and downs. Now, it shouldn't be enough to doubt in the fact of the resurrection without seeing it. Jesus makes that clear. And John described that for us in his Gospel. But it does give Thomas a humanity that we all share. And the all too real elements of doubt in our own lives. Thomas is a figure we can all identify with. And for doubting, does Jesus have a go at Thomas? For not believing the news that was quite frankly unimaginable? Incredible? Does he tell him to take a running jump and clear off for struggling with doubt? No, not at all. Thomas's struggles and doubt are an encouragement to us. That's precisely why the writer John includes them in his gospel story. They are an encouragement to us. All too often we can avoid doubt and the issue of doubt in church. We feel under pressure to display some kind of certainty that really does nothing more than mask the reality of our lives. And there are a number of striking points that John highlights and we can explore them now together. Firstly, Jesus works with Thomas's doubt. In the painting, Thomas's face also shows Surprise! His eyes are wide. Jesus holds Thomas's hand in the painting and guides it into the wound. Jesus knows the vow Thomas has made. Unless I put my hand into his side. And Jesus calls his bluff. Now, I was thinking about that this week and thought, how would I have reacted to that? And the only thing I could think of was, it must have been weird and wonderful all at the same time. You imagine that, putting your hand into Jesus' side. But it shows that Jesus works with our doubt. His hand takes hold of ours to guide it, to touch and feel and experience his risen presence. But of course, It's the wounds that Thomas touches. Reassurance and belief in the risen power of Jesus Christ come through the wounds inflicted at the cross. The painful, costly, demanding and downright difficult times of life. So take heart, all of you, in whatever doubts you have at the moment. Trust and wait for the hand of Christ to reach out and enable you to experience and know his presence and power in the wounds of life. Secondly, Thomas missed the boat first time round. The good news of Easter passed him by. It's a week later that Thomas sees and believes what the others have been telling him all along. Sometimes we seem to miss out on what God's doing. I know I've felt that from time to time. Other people seem to get it or experience it, but we don't for some reason. 
But here's the encouragement to stick close to other believers, just as Thomas did. To stay within the church community. And Jesus will meet with us and help us in exactly the right way for each one of us. Reach out your hand and put it into my side, says Jesus. Knowing that that was precisely the reassurance that Thomas needed. The good thing, I think, uh, well, one of the good things, actually, about living in Basin Hill is that um, if you miss one of the buses and you stay waiting at the bus stop, then another one will come along shortly. I always find that. Well, thank goodness that Thomas's own story encourages us all to wait around long enough for God to come along, to pick us up, and to take us further on our journey with him. Thirdly, Thomas absolutely refused to believe what he couldn't believe. Refused to say that he understood what he didn't understand. He refused to pretend. He was a man of integrity and honesty. Now I bet if we're honest, as a church, our heart isn't in what we do sometimes. We're not convinced of what God is asking of us. We don't commit to things like we know we ought to, because deep down, we doubt. Or maybe we're just not honest about the things we're struggling with, struggling to believe in our own lives. We're just not open about the fact that we have doubts. And so we go through the motions, give the appearance that we have belief in all the right places, that we are totally believing, totally trusting, nothing to worry about at all. And yet Thomas's story tells us that we don't have to. We don't have to pretend. Honesty is a far better approach because Jesus always responds and meets us where we are. And so in your friendships, be honest with each other and trust that Jesus will respond in ways that help you to believe in what he has for you. And this is one of uh, my hopes for our home groups as part of our church community here, that there'll be places of genuine friendships, of true honesty, where we can be real with one another, where we can say exactly what's going on in our lives without fear of being judged or told how to respond or put right, but loved and uh, prayed for and cared for as we're honest with one another. Fourthly, when he was sure, Thomas went the whole way. Last week at Lee Abbey, the children went on a hundred meter zip wire, well above the tops of the trees. And when they came home, uh, well, back to uh, the, uh, the house, uh, later that day and they told us about it and I said well what was it like you know the zip wire and I was imagining something that you get on an adventure playground you know when it's about eight feet off the ground and it's about 15 feet long and they said oh daddy it's got to be about 15 meters off 
and it's got to be about 100 it's over the tops of the trees and I thought oh yeah yeah you're just exaggerating anyway the next time they went on this Ryan went on it I went to watch I went for a walk around uh, the estate beautiful day beautiful place that's when I took those photos that I showed you earlier and uh, and I looked and I saw Ryan coming across and he didn't know I was there I thought goodness me got it right actually it's at least that tall if not higher and it was about 100 metres long. They have this safety harness on it. It looked fantastic. And it looked like he was wiggling his legs, you know, as he was going along. But you were doing the Irish jig, apparently. They'd been challenged to do an Irish jig as they were going across. So that's what he was doing. But it just looked like he was wiggling his legs to me. But once you start on that zip wire, there's no way of stopping. It's all or nothing. So you've been warned. Now, this was true of Thomas. He went the whole way. He signed up completely once he knew. He bought the T-shirt and the hat and the wristband. He got it. It was all or nothing. My Lord and my God, he says out loud. There's no halfway house for Thomas. He wasn't expressing doubts simply to draw attention to himself or to get himself noticed. He doubted to become sure. And when he did, he surrendered fully to belief in the risen Christ. Belief born out of the struggle of doubt. And how have we responded to those times when God has so clearly been at work for good in our lives? What difference have those unmistakable encounters with God made to the way we work study, spend time with our family, the way we spend our money and use our skills and time in order to build up God's church. Have they made any difference? And if so, has it dwindled? Do we need to seek a fresh encounter with the risen Christ? One that leaves us crying out, my Lord and my God, leaves us wanting to rededicate our lives and our skills and our time and our money for him to use. Finally, Thomas continued to live for Christ in the days ahead. And as you continue to read uh, the next chapter in John's Gospel, you'll see Thomas sticks around. Now he's experienced the power of Jesus raised from the dead. He wants to be part of things. And so the doubter becomes one of the building blocks of the church. When Jesus brings us to the place of belief in his risen power and his risen presence with us, he gives us a part to play in his church. When we encounter his power, he calls us. This is about being open to God, showing us how he wants us to use our gifts in the building of his church. It's about responding to God's power at work in our lives. Do all of us know how God wants us to serve him? Do we, if we're truly honest? What about just in this church community? 
Can we leave intercessions? Could we welcome? Could we serve coffee? Could we help set another form of church up for over 65s? Could we work the computer? If I can do it, and Ryan can do it, and Kate can do it, then anybody can. Could we operate the PA? Could we visit the elderly or the housebound? Could we pray for people? Could we make it our role in church to pray for Laura Downs in her ministry? Is God calling you to do that? Could you help sort out the admin for the holiday to Lee Abbey? Could we support Ingrid with Outlook? Could we help Audrey and the team with the senior citizens' lunches? God wants to build on the great things he's done in and through Christchurch Baston Hill over the years. But I don't want to see us doubting the good things he's got in store for us. I don't want to see us doubting that who you are and what you can do can make a difference for God and his church. Because they can. And they will. Just look at Audrey and the team as they do those senior citizens' lunches. Or Ingrid and Outlook. They do what they can do and they do it for God. My prayer is to see each of us having an encounter with the risen Christ, an encounter that enables us to live for him and to serve him in a new way, a fresh way, a rededicated way, a way where we know beyond doubt that we're doing what God wants us to do. We've now got a new mission statement and I told you about that earlier, loving God, living his adventure. And it's built on those two things that I mentioned earlier that God's been showing us. That loving him, making sure we've got a close relationship with him, is the priority. And secondly, that the future he's leading us into is an adventure. I encourage us all to read it, to remember it, and to live by it. Because it says something about the church community God is calling us to be. And so please do make use of those everyday objects that are available, pens and key rings and mugs, so that that will remind you. And this week, the first edition of the vision map has been published. And I explain more about this at the APCM on, Tuesday, on Thursday. Sorry, The brochure highlights, as I said earlier, our priorities and how we're going to act on them. And I really want to encourage each one of us to read it and pray over it to see what role God wants us to take to be part of it. Is it a praying role? Is it an active role? Is it working, like I say, with a new expression of church for the over 65s? Is it visiting those who really need our care and attention at home? There's something incredibly important for each of us to do. Something that no one else can do in the way that we can. To move forward as a church requires that each of us learns from Thomas. 
to allow the power of Jesus to propel us into new ways of serving him and living for him. So to finish, Jesus stands among us, reaches out to guide our hands to touch him and know his risen presence and power. He's telling every one of us, stop doubting and believe. Believe that I am who I say I am, that I've done what I said I would do, that I've given you freedom, life and a hope-filled future with God, that you are my friend and follower, that you have a crucial part to play in my church, that you can trust me with your children, that I can be at work for good in your marriage difficulties, that the church is worth being a member of, and that your skills and your time can make a difference for me. Amen.